Hello and welcome to New Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gathard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the world. You know, I'm sitting here, I got a pulled muscle on my side, my rib cage. Like I think I got it laying in bed. Like laying still in bed because I'm 41 years old. Those are the types of things that happen. Is you just start pulling muscles while completely stationary in the most relaxing space you've built for yourself in your life. So you might be surprised that today's episode is all about sports, but it is. There's a long history of sports in New Jersey and sports heroes and sports incidents. And um, it's a really funny episode. And you might be surprised that I personally dive as deep into a couple sporting sporting events related tales as I do, considering that I'm someone who sits here and pulls muscles while doing nothing, but a lot of passion behind a couple of the moments in this one. Uh, thank you to everybody who's been listening. Thanks to everybody who signed up at the Patreon. You're going to get some, uh, some very special content this week. I'm going to release for our Turnpike tier. That's our top tier. This is the top tier stuff, everybody. My son went to Jimmy Buffs for the first time this week. I took my two-and-a-half-year-old son, Cal, to Jimmy Buffs, and I videotaped his first consumption of Jimmy Buffs. And I will be releasing that as an exclusive to the Turnpike Tier Patreons. Did I use the phrase videotape? Like, as if it was the 1980s and I had a big VCR camera? Yes, I did. You might have to uh, check and see. Wait, did he actually use a big, giant VHS cam? do it nope he didn't spoiler i used my phone i just use outdated words sometimes anyway i'm rambling enjoy the episode there must be something in the water in west orange i preach such avant-garde kids are gonna start shit in parks where we spit arson and sparks flips essex county america's armpit carnival oh boy that flea market i bought a crossbow there and i imagine it was sort of a two roman legions charging at each other uh, intertown fighting some people have been there in the middle of the night to whip pumas with belts the last time i got in a fist fight i threw a carton of clinton's orange at a man's face i'm gonna take this terrible crime ridden city and then i'm gonna pull my pants what? down on you no i've never had a hoagie in my life or a grinder this is like a weird vortex that doesn't apply to the laws of time and space <laughs> Start recording. I'm recording. Everybody record. Nick, I just revealed that we're... Uh, I, I played sports, but I don't like follow... I haven't followed sports since like I was in like probably high school, middle school to high school, through high school, and then like college football. But that was just because I went to WVU. But you're like our resident... Jock. Varsity athlete here. Yeah. Finelli couldn't make it tonight. Finelli sent along some things he wanted me to talk about, but I mean, he was... Oh, Finelli's like super jock. He was like a good athlete, right? From what I gather. He played uh, D1 baseball in college. Really? Right, but he played football too, though, didn't he? He played, he played Ironman football in River Edge. What's Ironman football? Offense and defense. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody. I did until my junior year. And then he played baseball. He went with baseball in college, but he couldn't make it, but he sent along some topics and some things to think about tonight as we talk about sports. Did he go scholarship? He went scholarship in D1? I forget. I got to ask him. I know he played. You got to be pretty damn good, man. He could swing. We're talking sports. I think everybody can probably pick up 
I scrambled. I said, everybody start recording as Nick said he didn't know about sports. But it's funny because none of us are jocks. In fact, we're a bunch of like uh, punk rockers. We've talked about that. And usually punk rockers are not into sports. I'm marginally into sports. But I do think we've all seen 30 for 30. We all know that uh, sports are a part of culture. And they tell the stories of places and people and times. I think New Jersey certainly can lay claim to a lot of uh, sports-related people and events that help show off the culture of this place. And as, as you know, this podcast, I think, is a never-ending quest to get to the bottom of New Jersey. Do you mean the bottom of New Jersey by, like, South Jersey or just the bottom of New Jersey? I meant, like, the scoop. Get the scoop on it. Get the real deal. But we are trying to get to the bottom of New Jersey, too. Eventually. We got, some pe- we got peoples down there. Cape May. I've been to Cape May before. I went there as a kid. I went on a vacation to Cape May and we went camping and there was a fucking hurricane and being on a cape. I mean, it's an actual cape. You're sticking out in the sea. When a hurricane passes through, it was truly terrifying. It was truly terrifying to be out there. My mother, I woke up and my mother was crying in the little trailer we rented. And then we watched, uh, her, and my, her and my brother were watching David Letterman on a black and white TV. That was the first time I ever saw Letterman, so it worked out okay. Oh, my God. We did a summer vacation there. It was like the worst family vacation like we ever went on. And my dad was like, for whatever reason, like their friend was like, you have to go to this hotel in Cape May. It's like the oldest hotel. So we like go there, and it's a really great old hotel with no air conditioning in August. And my mother was ready to like, absolutely like kill somebody. And we had like my sister's friend, Jen with us too. So old Jen. Oh my gosh. They didn't even have a shower room. They had a a bathtub, but it was this great old hotel, like huge, like huge high ceilings, like great giant front porch. And then my dad, like one night just like went out because he was so sick of listening to my mom, like went to every single hotel. My dad's like a travel agent. Like, and uh, my oh my god, it was like it was a horror show, and it was like middle of August and like the hottest summer ever. It was just like I don't know. So I was kind of turned off by it, but I'm not into like that. I don't know. I don't know what I'm into, but it was an experience. It was like the Admiral Farragut or something like that. The like something holds it was. Oh, that sounds right. Like giant. I think it's probably gone now. Not to be confused with. The Admiral Farragut School for Recalcitrant Boys, where all of us as children were threatened to be sent there when we misbehaved by our parents. I had to go there for football camp. What a nice segue back into sports. <laughs> you played football, Nick. Oh, yes, I did. Varsity. Captain. West Orange High, not known as a huge sports hub. Mm, no, I think we had select really good athletes come through. Yeah. Nick, what were some of the teams that you played that are some of the heavy hitters of New Jersey sports? Let's see. Well, so we were in the Northern Hills Conference Skyline Division, and based on like the size of your school, you would play other schools kind of like the same size. So the powerhouses that we played were um, Wayne Valley, and Wayne had two high schools, and both had exceptional football programs and my cousin who went to Penn State played for Wayne Hills um, but Wayne Valley was a powerhouse Passaic Valley was a great football team and I got to play under Coach Sauter my senior year which probably like made one of the biggest impressions of my life like as far as uh, playing the sport and also as like you know uh, character development and leadership so um, let's see we've we, we also played like Lakeland uh, yeah Eastside uh, Lakeland 
Orange. Uh, yeah, Orange was like used to be a big rival, and then they kind of like they kept on changing like the division and stuff. And then we would like um, we always scrimmage every year against Nutley. That's how I won my um, varsity. That's how I got my varsity spot was on that field in Nutley. I made like this insane like tackle, and we scored on it. Even though it was like a scrimmage, but I secured my position on the varsity team that year. That's how I lettered my junior year. Uh, it is a known fact. They always say about the Rutgers football program, if they could just convince Jersey kids to stay home, they'd be one of the best. Because it's funny, Don, I asked Don, he couldn't be here tonight for the taping. I asked him some of the things he wanted to make sure we touched on, because he, he is the jock of the group. And he did say one of the things he really wanted to stress is everybody thinks it's like California and Texas and Florida that are the high school football hotbeds. And those are high school football hotbeds. But Oftentimes, some of the best players in the country come out of Jersey. And just off the top of my head, Rashawn Gary, who went to Michigan, Jabril Peppers, uh, they both went NFL. Those were both Jersey kids. And Don said, you got to mention the uh, the big six, I believe it's called, the Catholic schools. Oh, That's yeah. part of what, when I say West Orange isn't a sports powerhouse, part of the thing with New, York, New Jersey public schools is there's so many amazing private schools for sports. So... For football, you got that big six. I think it's like Paramus Catholic, Bergen Catholic, yeah. DePaul, Don Bosco, St. Peter's, and St. Joe's. Those schools like recruit. Like you go there to, and like even Seton Hall Prep, I think, sort of had that reputation for a while. For a long time. When we were kids, Seton Hall Prep was no joke. West Orange had some stellar like teams, like years, like the years previous to when we got there, like produced a lot of great football players that all went to like. A lot of kids went on to like um not usually d1 but like you know d2 d3 like you know go to play at monmouth or montclair state or whatever um uh, i want to point out new jersey sports legacy let's just remember the first baseball game played in hoboken yeah first college football game was Rutgers versus princeton 1869 Rutgers won six four in a game that would uh, i have read would be not recognizable as football to the modern eye but still the point stands um Mike D, you mentioned, I, I want to see if, Nick, you can do this off the top of your head, because, Mike, you said New Jersey has six professional sports teams, all but one identify as New York teams. Correct. I cannot think of the six professional sports teams. I mean... They're here, but they are, or they are New Jersey. They play in New Jersey, but their jerseys say New York. Okay, that's, that's a totally... Or their team is known as New York. You got the Jersey Devils... The Jets and the Giants both play in Jersey. Right. You got the Red Bulls. They used to say New York, New Jersey Red Bulls, right? I think they're just the New York Red Bulls. Are they in New York, New Jersey, I think, no? And we have two other professional sports teams? I'd say it's probably like, what's that? Um, the Nets left. That league that Bon Jovi has, like a, isn't it like that weird alternate like football league or something? Or oh, there used to, The XFL that Vince McMahon had that closed down. WNBA, no, they got the New, New York Liberty. We used to have the New Jersey Rock and Rollers and the Professional Roller Hockey League. I went to a couple of those games in the 90s. Minor league doesn't count, right? Because we have like a ton of baseball, like minor league baseball. A ton of minor league baseball. Don wanted me to point that out. Don wanted me to say that our, uh, you got the New Jersey Jackals playing out of the Yogi Berra Stadium out in Montclair. He says the lineage of minor league baseball is very strong. Who are these other two teams? Well, we've got... Uh... We've got the Metropolitan Riveters, who are uh, playing the National Women's Hockey League. Oh. And we've got Sky Blue Football. Wow. Sky Blue FC, baby. National Women's Soccer League. Really? 
Where did they play? We got to start supporting the Riveters. Great name for a sports team. Um, Sky Blue plays at Red Bull, so they, you know, in in Harrison. Really? Um, I don't know where the Riveters play. Actually, um, I would definitely go watch girls like hockey. Um, have to point out. 20% of the Olympic team from this year's Olympics were from New Jersey. I find that astounding. I don't particularly remember fencing being a big deal growing up. I don't remember chatter of Jersey as a fencing hotbed, but for some reason... It's because we were in West Orange. But what's going on? Who are these fencers and where are they hanging out? They're all going to like, like prestigious like, uh, prep schools and high schools where like... It's Pingree and Petty and all that stuff? Probably, definitely. Like anybody in those areas like... Fencing is like big shit. But have we just been surrounded by saber masters our whole life and we never knew it? Like we're talking shit at a diner to some kids in a, in a varsity jacket. Those kids are at home like studying, getting like A's, going to like some <laughs> awesome school with a like fencing scholarship. And if you tried to talk to them, they would just be like, look at us like we were from West Orange. That's all. They would just make like a Z and cut it into your t-shirt mm-hmm. cut it into your you know your uh your screeching weasel t-shirt just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would love that so much i don't you know what i think if like we had our neighborhood gang war like team against like a the best fencing team in like new jersey like just because they've been restricted to these rules of like engagement during fencing that like we would ultimately like even if we like okay you guys take your take a real sword take a real saber and I'll take my weapon that I had when I was in neighborhood gang wars. I think I could at least take like three or four of them out before they'd even like touch me. I don't know. These kids are getting professional coaching. Yeah. What does that mean? Like seriously, but that's like within these confines of these like fencing rules. If they had like get, these kids are Olympians. Yeah. Do you think they got into like a street like saber fight? Like how would they do against some like lunatic with like a machete? I would love it so much if you if you're like out there trying to hit somebody with a doorknob and a sock. And they're out there with an epi. You wrap it around their, their blade when they swing at you, and then you pull them the, down and the, kick them in the balls. The parking lot of the Pilgrim Diner. I feel like the Pilgrim Diner was the diner. I always have in my head this idea of Varsity Jack. The Pilgrim, because you always had Cedar Grove, Verona, Montclair, West Arch. There were always people from many different schools at the Pilgrim Diner. I would love that. You going nuts against a bunch of fencers in the parking lot of the Pilgrim Diner. If I was going to go crazy in any parking lot of a diner, it would be the Pilgrim Diner, and it would probably be from like the service there. I, I hate, you know, I'd never talk smack or whatever but like just don't like it never like going there is this since it reopened no i haven't i refuse to go back well let's not talk ill of a a business a business under new ownership and i know i know as a proud greek man it's hard for you to talk bad about any diner that's not true at all like greeks will (laughs) greeks will shit talk another business like just for sport um i have to mention you know we've interviewed both peter genovese and alan sepinwall as part of the show uh, Don and I, of course, talked to Alan and uh, Nick. You missed the Peter Genovese thing. I know you were bummed. But one of the great writers in Star Ledger history is Jerry Eisenberg, who's one of the best sports writers of all time, I think, hands down. Uh, I looked it up. He spent 50 years at the Ledger. He covered every Super Bowl f- from Super Bowl one up through 53. I think he was the 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 last journalist going who had been at the first one and every single one through by the time he finally opted out. And Jerry Eisenberg's writing, um, again, really informative. I would go so far as to say, because my brother is like a sports fanatic, 
I think a big part of it is that Jerry Eisenberg knows how to write about sports in a way that um, is very culture-based and big piece of the puzzle here. Um, we're going to get into some sports stories from us personally and some New Jersey athletes we want to shout out first, though. Some things that stand out as very Jersey-ish sports moments. I know for me, there is one team that I follow pretty diehard. Uh, you know, over the years, I've loved the Knicks. The Knicks will lose me because of their horrific uh, ownership. Used to be a big Yankees fan growing up. Now I can't. I, I don't understand how anybody can. The modern attention span does not lend itself to baseball. But that being said, since I was young. I have lived and died by the Seton Hall Pirates basketball team. Oh, yeah. You guys are... Hands down, um, they're from South Orange. We're from West Orange. Little known fact is, back in the day, the Star Tavern used to be a really big hangout for the Seton Hall team. And my aunt was a server there, and she'd come home sometimes and be like, oh, I got this guy's autograph for you. He played for the team. His name's like Jerry Walker. And I'd be like, you got fucking Jerry Walker? Like, he's the fucking pride of Jersey City. Like, every rebound, oh, I got this guy, uh, Pookie Wingington. I got his autograph for you. And so I had this little connection. And the 1989 NCAA championship, you got little Seton Hall shows up. I mean, they're in the Big East Conference, which is already just killers. Legendary conference. I mean, John Thompson, Georgetown. We got Villanova. You got St. John's, Syracuse, everybody. 1989, little old Seton Hall, a school nobody's heard from. They go on a tear. They get to the championship game. It's them versus who? One of the absolute blue blood college athletics programs of all time, Michigan. Seton Hall from South Orange, New Jersey versus Michigan. I mean, this is Michigan. Everybody knows Michigan's sports legacy. And if you guys remember what it comes down to, a phantom call. Michigan wins on foul shots at the uh, very, very tail end of the game on a call so horrible that something that almost never has happened in the history of sports happened. The ref publicly apologized, <gasps> said, I got it wrong. And you tell me if there's something more Jersey than that. I ask you, gentlemen, would Jersey like it better if Seton Hall won? Or is there just something so much more Jersey about being cheated out of it at the last second? Taking it on the chin that hard. But knowing you were like validated afterwards, like because those people are never going to enjoy their championship the way they should. They can say they won, but everybody knows that school from Jersey really won, and they got beat. But they, that's typical Jersey getting burned. Being able to gripe about it for the next 25 years is much more valuable to New Jersey than actually having a dusty trophy on the Seton Hall campus somewhere. I wonder if I'd still care, because I still do follow the team really hardcore. Um, it's a funny thing, because I went to Rutgers, but Rutgers and Seton Hall, that's a big basketball rivalry. Um and I actively root against Rutgers. I mean, in many ways, based on my experience there. But I always want Seton Hall to kill Rutgers, even though I do kind of follow Rutgers football. Um, it's funny, especially being in Essex County and being a Catholic school, It's it really shows you the Catholic undercurrent that's kind of like, in many ways, I think like a lot of the Catholics, there's like so many generations that have stayed in Essex County. I know my buddy Dan 
who is a great gentleman in West Orange, kind of the king of the down the hill area, uh, a historian, you might say, distant cousin of mine. He told me that a few years ago when Seton Hall made it back to the NCAA tournament, this was like five years ago, he was in church on Sunday. And you know, the Catholic church, they do the thing, this, you know, here's this, this guy who's been a parishioner for years. He had a stroke, uh, Lord, hear our prayer. Everybody says, Lord, hear our prayer. You know, oh, this small business, they, uh, they just got up and running. It's this good family that owns it. We're all going to go and buy stuff from them and help them out and see if we can survive. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. And then he says, he's sitting there, he goes, and of course, um, Seton Hall has made it back to the NCAA tournament. We're going to hope that they make it to the second weekend. Isaiah Whitehead's leading this team to some victories. Let's go ahead and root for uh, <laughs> Isaiah Whitehead and the rest of the boys. Huh? Lord, hear our prayer. And the whole church is like, Lord, hear our prayer. Praying, actively praying all over the Essex County, all over the uh, Newark Archdiocese, praying for Seton Hall's success. It's tied into God here, you know? Who doesn't want to support like the local team, you know? That's part of it. Yeah, and they're the only successful college sports team in New Jersey, really. Rutgers went on that little streak where they beat Louisville in 2006. That was exciting, but it fell apart really. It's early. not the same, though, as that late 80s Seton Hall team. I mean, right, they were playing at the Meadowlands. They, you know, they had Luther. They had uh, Danny Hurley. Terry Yeah, like really good teams, you know. Andrew Gaze, yeah. And it is true. You, when we were kids, there was. I have a hoodie. I have a Seton Hall hoodie that I've owned since 1990, and I still wear it. And it was like a pretty basketball is a thing in North Jersey. Like that, I would say that was the sport that you generally saw played the most that people kind of identified with as the most when we were growing up. And it was not uncommon to see Seton Hall gear all over Essex County for a bunch of years after that. Oh yeah, proud owner of Seton Hall gear. At that age, definitely. I have none and never owned any, but I used to drink at Dillon's, and that's a big uh, big uh, Seton Hall. Oh, that's a good place to watch the games. Well, I think Star is still a big gathering place for like Seton Hall games. Like, it, You know what I mean? Like, I think so, but I don't know that the teams hang out there. I mean, it fills up all the time anyway, but I always go there. Like, If I'm up in the area, I always stop for like, because their beer's really cold, and they always have like a million TVs on. You grab a pie, and like, honestly, like... One of the best bars for like talking to other people at the bar that you don't know. Everybody is generally like super friendly and like cool people. Good bar, good bar. Now speaking of the uh, Catholic basketball tradition, Mike D, you listed one of your Jersey sports moments uh, relating to a very infamous high school, St. Anthony's. Yes, which is uh, the Hurley family. Bob Hurley, legendary coach, just. So many kids from the tri-state area went and got coached by Bob Hurley at this tiny little school. I think it was in Elizabeth or Jersey City? Jersey City, I think. Jersey City. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's St. Patrick in Elizabeth. One of them. Yeah. Um, but St. Anthony, tiny, tiny, tiny school, sent a shocking number of players to the college ranks and, and a decent number to the pros. St. Joe's is one of those schools, too. That's the Jersey City one. Or the St. Peter's. St. Peter's? St. Peter's, but St. Anthony's for basketball. Right. I mean, Bob Hurley's in the Basketball Hall of Fame as a high school coach. Yeah. As he should be. You say that uh, the closing, recent, I think it was only a few years ago, St. Anthony's closed down. You think of that as a very iconic New Jersey sports moment. I think that's one of, to me, when... Right, we've talked about things that are Jersey-ish a lot, right? Something that has that unique Jersey spin on it. The fact that St. Anthony's just closed down one day is the most Jersey-ish thing ever. I mean, that's basically the most successful and storied high school basketball program 
that's ever existed. I mean, I'm sure you can make an argument for a few other schools, but that would definitely be a legitimate contender for that. And the fact that the school just closed down because they couldn't get enough money to keep this school running. I mean, that's Jersey. In Jersey, it's just like, ah, we've got the greatest high school basketball program in the country, and it's been that way for decades. But you know what? We're just uh, we're a little bit too lazy to keep it going. That's kind of very Jersey to me. Probably their academics, because I, like if you're in Jersey City and you see the kids commuting like off the ferry and stuff to come to like... You know, I was I working right down the street from like I guess St. Peter's there on Hudson or whatever. And there's so many kids coming out of the city. So maybe because they want that, you know, sports slash like academic thing. I don't know. Maybe that's why they suffered. I don't know. I, I have a personal Bob Hurley story, which is kind of amazing. So I was doing a, a project for work and for a German sports car company. And basically I needed someone who knew a lot about basketball to talk about how literally how basketball players had evolved in the last 30 years, physically, the way they play, the way they think, the way they train. And I thought of all these, you know, coaches and players. And I was like, you know, who really can give more of an opinion on this than anyone is Bob Hurley. I mean, he literally was molding, and training these kids, so many have went on to, to Division One to the NBA. I was like, let me call Bob Hurley and see if he's game for this. So I call up, I get Bob Hurley on the phone instantly, literally, like second ring, he picks up in his office. He's extremely polite. I give him the pitch for this thing, want you to be in it. And, and he's like, here's the deal. He's like, I'll be in any commercial you want. He's like, I'll do anything you want. He's like, all you've got to do is take the check but make it out to the school. He's like, make the check out to St. Anthony's. I don't take any money for this. So I'm like, done. Like, here's here's a big check that I'll make out to St. Anthony's. I'll give it to you. And then he's great. I call him up a few times. Like, you know, whenever you're doing a commercial, you know, Chris, there's all kinds of like snags and stuff. So I have to keep calling him and like rescheduling things. And finally, I call up one time and he's so aggravated and sick of myself. He's like, you know what? He's like, I'm sick of this crap. Just go F yourself. And he hangs up the phone and never picks up my phone call again. Oh, man. Damn. Yeah. Damn. So hung up on by Bob Hurley, who I have to say was the biggest gentleman and the most genuine person that I've ever spoken to didn't even think of himself just immediately was like, Oh, you've got a budget. Send that budget to St. Anthony's put their name on the check. That's impressive. Mike, that commercial could have kept St. Anthony's open another year and a half. I know. And because of my dreams of five more varsity players. Yep. Because of the ineptitude of my, my scheduling team. I, I, so basically what we're saying is I caused St. Anthony's to close. So let me apologize. New Jersey. Mike D good Irish boy. Now I never knew about this one, Mike, you listed something involving um, perhaps the most New Jersey sports moment. Involving a Giants punter, which I did not know about this, but it's making me laugh hard. So this story is so ingrained on my psyche. It's so ingrained on my psyche that my brother and I wrote a song about it when we were kids, which we still sing to this day. And I'm not sure if I'll sing this song, but I you will tell. I'm, I'm going to drive up there and make you sing it. I will. So, you know, back in 86, right, the, 
the Giants were huge, right? That was when they were at like the peak of their winning, the big blue wrecking crew, right? They had LT, Carl Banks, uh, you know, Rambo lookalike, Mark Bavaro. We were, everyone in New Jersey was way into the Giants. And the punter on the Giants, you know, never a huge position, but even on a team like that, the punter, everyone knows. And the punter was a guy called Sean Landetta. So at the, uh, at, I think it was the, NFC championship game, um, Sean Landetta, right? So every NFL player gets a set number of tickets for the game. Sean Landetta, the punter for the Giants, gets busted scalping his own tickets to the game outside the stadium. And the reason he gets busted is his pitch for selling these tickets outside the stadium was, hey, I'm Sean Landetta. I'll sell you these tickets and I'll also give you an autographed picture of myself. And that's how he got busted was that when he was selling the tickets, he was giving autographed glossy pictures of himself to the people who bought them. And the guy who bought the tickets was really angry and he somehow got in touch with like the commissioner of the NFL who called the Mara family that owned the Giants. And it became a huge scandal. That is Which, that is very that is so Jersey too good perfect Jersey to do something that shady and to get caught in that idiotic way you're signing pictures you have so good and it had to be like right before the game right so he was like out there when he was supposed to be probably in the locker room getting ready or something day of the game and he was selling a twenty two dollar ticket for fifty dollars <laughs> like that's the, the fact. So it wasn't even like, we're not talking big money here. Having a hard time. Well, like, those guys don't get paid as much, but like... Said he was making five. He had a $500,000 contract as the punter for the Giants. So like, in 1986, I mean, it's a lot of money now, but in 1986, that was a lot of money. Pretty good. It's pretty good. You don't need to be scalping in the parking lot of the Meadowlands. Mike D, I like that you pointed out that the Nets, and I remember this, that they were almost named the Swamp Dragons. I feel like, was that picked as the official name and then people were like, no, that's terrible, change it? Or was it like, it's down to the Nets and the Swamp Dragons? Like, we're thinking of changing it to the Swamp Dragons because the Nets were in the Long Island ABA team. Right. And they switched it out to Jersey. I feel like if they became the Swamp Dragons, they would have been so much more beloved long-term in Jersey and they'd still be here, man. Oh, yeah. It's got Swamp in the name. I don't know if it was down. What's the mascot? Is it like a net? So it got to, it got so far in that name being serious that if you poke around online, there's uh, there's jerseys and creative like it was all mocked up and done right. So it was pretty pretty far along that they were almost the Swamp Dragons. It was a very definitely had some Jersey Devil DNA in those designs. But I would you know I'm sure someone's done this, but if no one has, I would purchase a, a bootleg Swamp Dragons jersey and rock that nonstop. I sort of feel like my nickname in life should be the Swamp Dragon, man. How have I not become known as the, the Swamp Dragon in my professional career? It's kind of perfect for you, actually. And Don did pass along. Uh, he said, please remember that the uh, Nets did have Duncan the Dragon as their mascot. Oh, okay. So maybe that's the... The remnants of the first name. Uh, we already spent all the money on this costume. Let's just change the name and <laughs> we can't throw it away. It's too much money to throw away. These things are expensive. Yeah, he looked a lot like the Philly fanatic. Um, and he had stuff blowing out of his nose because he's a dragon. So like f- tried to have fire coming out of his nose. Truly terrible mascot, but... If they if they were called the Swamp Dragons during those Jason Kidd years when they kept talking about another Jersey thing, 
How many times did the Nets go to the finals and then not get it? It's just like Seton Hall. Jersey is built to come close. Jersey is built to come close, man. That's what we're all about. Coming close and being so we can be bitter about it forever. So you keep keep fighting to come back. Keep getting up, baby. Get up off the mat. If they were called the Swamp Dragons when they came that close, everyone in Jersey would have been obsessed with the Nets. And as it was, they were like pretty excited. But I actually felt like when the Nets moved to Brooklyn, I always thought back to them of like, yeah, Jersey didn't even rally that hard when they were like a finals team. Not like they do for the Devils. The Devils is really the only team that Jersey flips out for as their own. If they had been the Swamp Dragons, maybe it would happen. They really missed the boat there. It's also hockey, too. Hockey's like a different fan base. Like, you know, they go nuts for everything, but. <laughs> we'll call you the Swamp Dragon from now on, Chris. Going to call you Swamp Ass. Hey, Swamp Ass. Not Swamp Ass. Swamp Dragon. Oh, man, I got Swamp Ass. I kind of, if it's okay with you, Mike D, I'd like to, um, just go through a list of some of the Jersey athletes that come to mind when we think of Jersey and then get into some of these personal stories. Cause I'm reading through this outline and frankly, I want to really sink the teeth into that story and I don't want anything to have to follow it. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of the athletes from New Jersey that we love? Tate George. Tate George. Tate George, talk to me. Lived down the street from us. Yep. Then he moved out and his mom lived there. It's often seen in our immediate neighborhood. Yep. Yeah. He'd always wave to us, but we played it cool. We didn't wave back. So you guys are just, oh, that's Tate George. Did he play for the Nets? Yep. Yep. We also, West Orange had the, uh, the Devils, of course. Um, the, the Devils, of course, practiced at the South Mountain Arena. The Jets practiced right up the road in Florham Park. You'll also be happy to hear, I, I click on Tate George, checking him out. Former American professional basketball player with the Nets. Um, and in a very Jersey twist, you guys are able to... Uh, Okay. Oh, perfect. He founded the George Group, a real estate development firm based in West Orange, New Jersey. Smart man. And on September 23rd, 2011, he surrendered to authorities on fraud charges related to his alleged operation of a Ponzi scheme while CEO of the George Group. He's found guilty on four counts of federal wire fraud. Each count carries a penalty of up to 20 years in prison. Oh, no. His bail was immediately revoked. He was against... He, uh, Did he do time or no? Nine years. Oh. He's still in. He's still in? He's serving all nine. Oh, that poor bastard. And then he's got, I think... He'd probably do less time like killing somebody. Yeah, now he's fighting with the NBA because... Oh, my God. His, he's he's arguing that he shouldn't have to pay his pension t- payment while he's in the clink. Pride of West Orange. That's the first guy that you mentioned is a guy who's busted in a Ponzi scheme. I did not know that. Other people we got to mention. First of all, soccer in New Jersey. We got Carly Lloyd, one of the best of all time. Um, Rutgers legend from South Jersey, Delran. What's soccer? What's soccer? Soccer exists? What is that? Nick, show respect. Carly Lloyd scored a gold medal winning goal in two different Olympics. That's badass. Yeah, much love, much love. I'm just busting balls. She's totally badass. I'm not sure if you guys know about what's unfolding in Harrison, New Jersey right now. Do you know about this? I don't know. It's a cool story, man. So Ray Lucas, if you don't know. I know Ray Lucas. He was a quarterback in the NFL with the Jets. He had also been the quarterback at Rutgers. So to go from Rutgers to the Jets feels like the hometown team. He had been the pride of Harrison High School. Um, kind of, so he's famously, this guy comes from Harrison, working class town, Rutgers, Jets. I mean, this is a Jersey guy through and through. And he was still, uh, he did the radio broadcast of Rutgers. So I'd hear him sometimes. And just last year, they announced that Harrison High's football program was going so poorly 
think the coach got fired. Maybe there was a scandal. It was kind of last minute. They said, maybe we should just not have a football program. We're going to shut it down. Oh, my God. Ray Lucas, former NFL quarterback, says, fuck it. I'm the head coach now. No way. Goes back to his high school alma mater. He's the head coach at Harrison High. He, uh, The guy who is like definitely the pride of the town for his generation. That's a jersey. That's a jersey move right there, man. That is respect to Ray Lucas. That's awesome. That's a I I mean that to me is a great example of Jersey gumption. Like, oh, they're gonna shut down the the football program at my high school. I'm dropping everything I got on my plate as a professional, and I'm gonna go take it over. That's Jersey. Good for you, Ray Lucas. I also think um, there's a different thing if you played a sport. Um, and you're coming up in that age group, and like, let's say 14 when you go to like high school, it's the first time you're really playing. Like, not that you didn't play organized sports before, and whatever, Pop Warner and uh, Little League and shit like that, but like, I think it's the first time that like you're like you're coming into like uh, a coach or something like that, and like these people can be like very formative. Like at 14 years old, like if you have somebody, especially if they're like willing to do it, and like they may have had like such a positive experience, like. These people are like very important at that age, and like having a great coach can like totally like be good for you. You know what I mean? Like I, I think it was for me, absolutely, like a hundred percent. But like, it begs the question, Nick. Let's say word comes down that West Orange High is going to shut down their football program, and they say we need a coach, Nicky Bonaduce. Will you step in? I could assist, like as far as like you know, I'm not saying that like. Whatever, I wasn't like a star football player or whatever like that, but I don't have the ability to be a head coach because I know like what's involved in that, even at like a high school level, like and knowing players. But like when you are practicing and stuff like that, you have line coaches and stuff like that. Um, I was always good because I was a center too from junior to senior year. And that was like for me, like a ton of pressure because you're constantly like, you have to know everything about what's going on at the field at like any time. So, um, to have like great coaches, like let's say I could only imagine like you go out into a field, like Ray Lucas is there and the stuff that like he's bestowing upon you, whether it's technique, the plays, or just like you ever have a coach just like, you know, get you going, make you do your best, inspire you. You know what I mean? Like that is very important that's stuff. That's well, that's that, I know absolutely. I had a lot of great, like I said, like I grew up with a lot of great teachers and I also had a lot of great coaches that like pushed me to like become, you know, to realize like my potential. And like, I was, I was happy for that. And I can see like, that's why I feel it's important. You know, it might not be sports. Maybe you might have somebody else in like your life at that time where who's pushing you to like do your best, like whatever. But in Jersey, like, you know, it's a, I don't know. So it's a big thing. Like, and, and my kudos to uh, to Ray Lucas because that's awesome. Like, he's probably changing kids' lives right now. You know, it's very cool. It's super cool, and I think there's going to be a movie about it. I think they're going to win a state championship, and there's going to be a movie about it because it's kind of like a real life movie unfolding. Let's not forget Newark native Shaquille O'Neal. Let's not forget some of the big names: Kyrie Irving, West Orange; Derek Jeter. I believe had a house. I believe his family had a house in West Orange as well. Carl Lewis, none other than Carl Lewis, one of the most famous American Olympians of all time, South Jersey. Fastest man in the world. Willingboro, New Jersey. Mike Trout, who many people say is the best baseball player of our generation, of like the current times. And of all these people, Mike Trout is super Jersey. And what I mean by that is he constantly is talking about New Jersey. 
he's gone back to where he's from in South Jersey and done a ton of like built things, right. Set up sports. Like he's, he's not just somebody who, Oh, like his bedroom was in New Jersey. Like he's extremely involved in things that are going on in his part of the state, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, especially for somebody again, like he's not just some ham and egger. I mean, he is legitimately right. At least I don't know anything about baseball, but according to people like my brother say, he's like a generational guy. Yeah. Like uh, I believe I I don't follow baseball, but my understanding is like a, like hall of famer undoubtedly has, has accomplished things that very few people on earth ever have. Yogi Berra. I know that growing up where I did in my neighborhood, which was a, uh, you guys can talk about the Colgate Park area. I would say a straight-ahead, working-class New Jersey neighborhood. Um, some families had it better than others. But to walk to Let It Rock, where we used to buy our punk rock records, I used to walk through Montclair, directly past Yogi Berra's house. And I tell you, you knew, it was almost hilarious, because you knew the second you stepped over the town line from West Arch to Montclair, you'd just look around and go, holy shit. Well, down there, definitely. And then, yeah, and then next thing you know, you're walking past, and we all knew it was Yogi Berra's house. I once wiped out my BMX bike. We used to just ride our bikes past Yogi Berra's house, see if we could see Yogi Berra, and I once wiped out on my bike down there real bad. He's also one of the most quotable sports figures of all time, right? He has one of my all-time favorite quotes, which is, Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> I mean, that's like something the Buddha says. I mean, yeah. that is... If you a, see a fork in the road, take, take it. it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, those are just... I mean, this is just... We're just ro- reeling off names here. Um, the Miz? Talk to me about The Miz. I was not familiar with The Miz. Steve Miserak, known as The Miz, was in the 80s one of the only visible, famous, professional pool players and gamblers that sort of existed. And I knew who The Miz was because when you would go to, if if you went to any of the local video stores that were not Blockbuster, I remember they used to have a big section of like, had a gamble VHS tapes. And they would always have a bunch of VHS tapes by The Miz that would show you how to hustle pool. Love it. Which for some reason I rent it, even though I had no access to a pool table and do not know how to play pool. But I was just mesmerized that you could rent videotapes that showed you how to con people. And I feel, I feel like you were always open to a scheme, open to a con, have the knowledge there. Maybe there's something that applies psychologically off the pool table that we might be able to put towards other things. Maybe I'd find myself in front of a pool table one day. I, I Actually, I transferred those skills to pinball when we went to Rutgers, and I hu- hustled pinball for money in the student center. Perfect. I also see that he's from Perth Amboy, which seems like a really great town for a pool hustler to be from. Definitely. Other people, Tony Miola, uh, United States, I mean, like, I, I would say very famous soccer player, the uh, goalie for the U.S. team for many, many years. Uh, growing up, we all know who Rick Cerrone was. He was a legend. He played for the Yankees. And he played for Seton Hall, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he played for the Yankees forever. I think he played for Seton Hall, too. And then, Mike, you noted he, he brought the Newark Bears back, which everybody was excited about when that happened. But the Bears quickly went away. I never knew why. They got killed, man. They got killed by Yogi Berra in his fucking league up there. Mm, that was part of it, but I also, without outing my sources, <laughs> I do know intimately for a fact that a big part of the reason the Nork Bears folded was 
Rick Cerrone, who I don't, I don't know, I'm sure he's a lovely human being, came in and just basically made a whole bunch of terrible long-term deals with all his New Jersey Goombots friends to, to run and supply things, and that just made the team untenable as a business. Ricky Henderson played for the Bears briefly. He did? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ricky Henderson just decided he didn't want to quit playing baseball, even though he wasn't a major leaguer anymore, because he loved baseball that much. like Jose Canseco's brother or something played there? Right, yeah. One of the Canseco's. Yeah, but Ricky Henderson evidently would not give autographs. That was like the thing. We have to talk about two West Orange legends, Amos Alonzo Stagg, who is a very, very influential winning football coach who uh, has Stagg Field in West Orange named after him. And as Mike notes, probably would not approve of what goes on at his namesake field. Well, it's funny that Amos Alonzo Stagg, old school, like hardcore, disciplined guy, like football coach, has a field named after him, which was literally the center of delinquency of our town. Like, I didn't even realize there was a field there. I thought it was just a place where people drank in an abandoned swimming pool. And torture. Torture. We used to, oh my God, be tor- I was tortured on that field. That's where we'd practice on the stag field. <laughs> We've got Ginny Dunkel, who was a, uh, an Olympian as a teenager from West Orange. The uh, West Orange Town Pool is named the Ginny Dunkel Pool. And got, you, you noted it here on the, uh, on, the, <laughs> on the outline, frequently pooped in. There was a phantom pooper. At the West Orange Town Pool, the Ginny Dunkel Pool was plagued by a phantom pooper, uh, pooping not only in the pool, but if you guys remember, on the edge of the pool, up on the deck, which is real sinister. That's almost popping a squat and getting away with it up there. I don't understand how that upper decker mystery was not solved quickly. My brother claims he knows who it was, that it was eventually uh, solved. That's suspect that Greg... <laughs> Craig knows who it was. Somebody died in that pool too, though. Like after hours, like either somebody snuck in at night and yeah. died in the diving tank. Yep, that's right. It's also a home of sockball, a, a sport that I think maybe only exists in the field behind the Ginny Dunkel pool. We play baseball with a towel and a sock. And the only place in West Orange I knew of where you could reliably get Charleston shoes. The concession stand. It's just like clockers, a sport that only yep. exists at Ginny, the Ginny Dunkel pool. Uh huh. And to to note that not everybody went to that pool in the town pool because of primarily where it was located. Right. It, there was definitely a like demographic line that was driven of who went to the Jenny Dunkel. Was it down the hill? Yeah. It was for the dirt people. Yeah. Like me. We didn't have nothing. We were Jenny. We we went to Jenny Dunkel. We were definitely never every year. I was at the Jenny Dunkel pool. Never. This was not for the up the hill people. They had their own pools away from the riffraff like us. That's true. Well, and then some of us, when we were teenagers, went to work at the Up the Hill Pool at the Cabana Club. The Cabana Club. That's, we couldn't swim there, but we, we could work there. The rich kid pool. Yep. Get hit by cars and driven away from there. <laughs> and get Coxsackie virus. Larry Doby, the uh, first black player in the American League. Infamously, the Patterson Plank Road up there in the Meadowlands, a section of it is known as the Larry Doby Highway which I once offhandedly mentioned to my wife and she doubled over laughing and was like, what is wrong with New Jersey? What are you talking about? The Larry Doby Highway. I was like, yeah, he's Larry Doby. It's part of the Patterson Plank. She's like, you can't already have a road with a name as dumb as the Patterson Plank and then also call it the Larry Doby Highway. So we had a good laugh about that. He deserves a better road. Yeah. few people who I feel very compelled to talk about, and you guys might have to stop me. Um, First of all, Bruce Springsteen, when he got inducted to the New Jersey Hall of Fame, he had this great quote. 
where he said, it was something along the lines of, uh, I wish I wrote down the exact quote, but he said, you know, when there's a boxing match going and you hear the announcer say, and in the, in the other corner, hailing from the great state of New Jersey, he says, you always need to glance at that other guy because whoever is across the ring from that motherfucker just dropped his head and he's already got his hands up because he knows whoever's about to come at him is not going to go down easy, and that's Jersey. <laughs> Chuck Wepner, the Bayonne Bleeder, um, famously the inspiration for Rocky. Um, I've read a lot about him. Muhammad Ali, I believe, went down in his career, especially in that era, it was it was unheard of. This was not even supposed to be a marquee fight. This was like a tune-up fight for Ali. It may have even been another fight it fell apart, so they just said, "Give him, let him beat up on Chuck Wepner. Wepner put him down. Now, people have said for years, did he slip or was it a legit knockdown? Uh, Ali has claimed it was a slip. Wepner says, no, it was a knockdown. Um, I love this story, and I love this guy, and I love that he's from Bayonne, and I think the Bayonne bleeder is one of the great Nicknames in the history of sports. That is also the most New Jersey nickname, right? Because it's a nickname that's not about how good you are at the sport you perform. It's about how injured you become during the sport, right? That's what you're known for is as a boxer is bleeding. 100%. Um, and if we're going to talk boxing in New Jersey, I have to say, I have been a big fan of fights pretty much my whole life. I, I, I always watched boxing as a kid i continue to follow it sparingly i was watching ufc i mean when it was first on in 1993 i remember being very into it renting the tapes from the palmer video main street in west orange always loved fighting and i can say with my whole heart that arturo gaddy he's not even from jersey he's from montreal italian parents born in montreal but he fought out of Jersey City, and he claimed Jersey City as his home. He had them announce fighting out of Jersey City, New Jersey. Everybody knows, if you know boxing, you know Gaddy was like something truly special. And most of his famous fights were at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City, and it was a well-known thing that this guy took over Boardwalk Hall, brought the Atlantic City Boardwalk to life. If you have not seen this guy's fights... You're missing out. He passed away in very, very shady circumstances. People don't know if it was a suicide. A lot of people say his wife had him killed. Um, his fights are incredible because he knows how to box. He was a very, very good boxer, but he just loved fighting. He kind of loved fighting more than he loved boxing. And if somebody hit him in the face hard enough, he could just say, fuck it, I'm not going to box tonight. It's no longer about head movement and defense and foot placement. It's about taking shots and landing shots. And if you have not seen the fights between Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward, they transcend boxing. There's three fights. Um, you got an Italian guy representing Jersey fighting an Irish guy representing Massachusetts. So right there, you got like the last vestiges of like East Coast immigrant, old school Italians and Irish, Irish Catholics and Italian Catholics. Two people who have 98% of things in common with each other and yet somehow find ways to just hate on each other and not like or trust each other. Brawling in the middle of the ring. These fights are so incredible. You can watch them like a movie. 
And round nine of fight one, people called it the the round of the century. And it's jaw-dropping. And it's beautiful. And it's everything I love about fighting. And it's everything I love about Arturo Gatti. And it's the exact behavior from Arturo Gatti that made Jersey claim him as a native son. And I really think he's one of the most to-the-core, like spiritually New Jersey people I've ever seen in action. I don't know if you guys have seen these fights or want to add to this or if I could just gush forever. No, that's that's beautiful, Chris. I wish I could tell the stories that I've heard working for a couple of companies that I worked for and their connections with certain things and people and his role in those operations and like it might explain some things, but whatever. I won't I'm go certain there that I'll he probably... rubbed elbows with every influential oh, well, Italian-American yeah. in New Jersey. That'll be an off... Uh, off microphone conversation. I think it's a beautiful thing that that New Jersey is so willing to adopt a Canadian tough guy as one of their own. I think that says a lot about New Jersey. Like if you're if you're tough enough, we're you know, you're welcome. You're welcome here. I think that's kind of a perfect thing. Well living in Bayonne alone makes you a a certain kind of person anyway. And like Yeah. Weppner had no choice. Have a special place in my heart for Bayon. Uh oh. For Gaddy to be as good as he was and to say he could say he could have gone to some gym in the city. He could have said Brooklyn. He said, No, I want you say Jersey City. And this motherfucker, he didn't live down on Grove Street either. He's up in the Heights. He was up in the Heights. And he used to notoriously hang out all the time at the Ringside Lounge out out there on Tonnelly Ave. Like the guy really said, he really got here and said, this place is me. I am this place. He wanted to be one of us and we let him be one of us and we let him lead the charge. And God damn, are those fights incredible. Was his nickname, he was Thunder Gotti, right? Yeah, Thunder. And he came That's out. That's a great, great nickname. And he came out to, um, is it, oh, who is, is it ACDC? Thunder. Yeah, it's ACDC. Thunder. Thunder. And you watch the you watch the footage of him coming out in Boardwalk Hall, which this is not a huge arena. This is not thirty thousand seats. This is intimate. This is a fighting gym, and uh, you watch the crowd. Everybody's just going thunder, and you sit there. You go, whoever the poor son of a bitch is that's standing across from this guy, he's not just fighting Arturo Gatti tonight. He's fighting the entire Atlantic City Boardwalk. The entire place is chanting thunder. And I'm telling you, he'd do the fancy footwork and he'd box and sometimes he'd won matches that way. But more often than not, he'd be going against somebody scrappy who would just catch him in the jaw and you'd see Gaddy just kind of shake. I mean, this is a man. If you want to go watch the fights, I encourage it. Pause the episode now. In one of these fights, Mickey Ward, Mark Wahlberg played Mickey Ward in The Fighter. I love that movie. And a lot of it was about him getting to the point where he could fight Gaddy for his payday fight. I, I kind of feel like... They had to do that because the the Gaddy fights themselves are better than any movie. This is a fight where halfway through, I think it's the second fight, got Gaddy's up on the scorecards and he gets back to his corner. He turns to Buddy McGirt, his trainer. He goes, I broke my hand. He goes, well, you know, it's a common thing in boxing. You hit somebody too hard in the head and you break your hand. He goes, I broke my hand. My, my hand's broken. It was a hand he'd broken before. And the announcers are common. Jim Lampley, Emmanuel Stewart are going, oh, Gaddy's had problems with that hand. This fight's going to get called. That's such a shame because 
he's up on points in the second in the rematch and this and that and you hear Buddy McGurk go did you say he broke your hand he goes yeah and Buddy McGurk goes what do you want me to do Arturo Arturo goes I want to fight and he goes out and fights him only throwing with his left hand for the next two or three rounds and starts hitting him with some jabs with the right again finally they're going oh it's now probably gotten so numb that he can't feel the pain anymore so he's swinging with his right again I mean, that's a Jersey motherfucker right there. Fight you with a broken hand? Fight you with a broken hand, and the guy who signs off on it is named Buddy McGirt. <laughs> everything about it. Everything about it. I mean, I could watch these fights. There are times where I've sat and watched these fights by myself, back to back to back, and I sit there and I feel... Um, honestly, moved to tears, watching what those two guys did and thinking about Arturo Gotti representing Jersey, man. It's... They're really something special. They're really something special. What's more What's more primal than fighting anyway? Um, that dude, when he passed away, I was so sad. I feel like there might be people out there right now who know my work who are shocked, sort of shocked to hear that I was this big a fan of a boxer, but anybody who's like an artist at what they do um, and who can turn it into that, and I'll tell you, like Floyd Mayweather is a boxing artist. Arturo Gatti was a fighting artist. He knew how to have a fight. He knew how to be in a fight. And that is just... Jersey and everything you want, the romance of being from Jersey City to be, they're the best fights. They're the best fights. I think he's the best fighter of all time. I don't know. I know he's not the best boxer of all time, but he might be the best fighter of all time. And man, I wish that he had a couple more. You might not always win, but at least you fight and try. <laughs> the truth. That was beautiful, Chris. Now that I've rambled as much as I have about the great Arturo Thundergatti, there's actually a current fighter in uh, New Jersey lore. And there's been a bunch. I mean, Frankie Edgar from the UFC, really a similar can take a hit and keep coming at you. UFC champ in his division a couple of times. But there's a kid right now. Rutgers joined the Big Ten, and a lot of the Big Ten schools were mad because Rutgers is pretty bad, and like the football team's bad, but the basketball team made the tournament last year. That's a good thing. And one place where they excelled was wrestling. Jersey has a lot of strong high school wrestlers, and they got these kids to stay home for the Big Ten. You think about the Big Ten, I mean, this is like Iowa and Nebraska, like these schools that love wrestling, Ohio State. Do you guys know about this kid, Nick Suriano? No, no, but I know West Orange has like, I mean, Jersey in general has like a really strong like wrestling culture. I mean, from like youth up, it is like a way of life. It's, and it's up and down the state. It's kind of under the surface in a way that like fencing clearly is at some in some schools as well. Wrestling quietly, pretty huge in Jersey. And so this kid, Nick Suriano, he was the, he was the um, NCAA champ in his division. Rutgers' first wrestling champ, Anthony Ashnault, later the same day became the second. Huge day, as you can imagine, for Rutgers sports to get two wrestling champs coming out of the Big Ten, like legitimizes them. This kid, Nick Suriano, he, I believe, grew up in Paramus. He originally went to Penn State, transferred back to Rutgers. Um, He's one of the most intense people I've ever seen, is what I'll put out there. And I might argue that he's like the living embodiment of Bergen County 
I'm going to show you guys some clips of him talking. Uh, Flow Wrestling just put out this documentary about him and how he's kind of this like mysterious figure in the world of wrestling. So I'm going to play some clips here um, of, of Nick Suriano talking. And, and watch this. You guys can see it, right? Tell me if you ever yeah. see this motherfucker yeah. blink. He's so intense. Watch this. What are you doing in Italy right now? Um, I'm here to absorb everybody. I'm here to watch, observe. You know, this scene's a little new to me, but I'm, I'm on the circuit now, so I have to get out here and expose myself to people that are better than me. I picked a lot up in Russia, but self-confidence, that's the number one. Seeing where I line up with predators at the highest level of the sport of wrestling. People with Olympic gold medals, already like it's nothing like it means nothing and then someone tells you oh he's he's this world champion or he's this kind he's this olympic champion um i train with a lot of guys train with uguev you know the olympic champ that's where i was excited i was like oh okay hell yeah this guy's a fucking psycho it's a motherfucker yeah man go into the fucking fire those are the kind of fucking that's like that kid's a fucking motherfucker, man. A, I, I picked some random clip and it's him going like, "Yeah, I learned a lot studying in Russia, mostly self confidence." Well, oh, think about what he's saying. You know what I mean? Like it's like you know, that's a mentality. That's like something that's in you. He's a really that's that's very Jersey. Like, all right, I know these motherfuckers are badasses. Whatever, I'm going he's in. Super there. intense, man. Let's watch this one. I want to be a life champion. On the mat, off. Things didn't add up the way I maybe thought they would. So, I made changes, I made fixes. If the things around you don't change, change the things that are around you. This guy is the most intense guy I've ever seen in my life. He's like young and wise. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? if you don't like the things He's in your life, change your definitely life. Definitely like, definitely an old soul. That's like, you know, I mean, people that are like 50, 60 years old don't have that like, you And know. you'll be happy to... In a very like Seton Hallway, in a very uh, Nets getting to the finals way, he was one of the people who they thought was probably going to qualify for the Olympic team. And then the day of the trials, he tested positive for COVID. Uh, Almost uh, went to the Olympics. That's perfect jersey. But that guy with that intensity, can you imagine Nick Suriano like ordering at a diner? I feel like the waitress would quit in fear. No. He'd be like, I want two eggs. I want them over hard. And when I say over hard, I want them hard. I don't mean medium. I don't mean over easy. I don't want the yolks to run. My whole point is I want to be able to cut out the egg whites to get the protein. I'm sure he's very polite. I bet he's very polite, but he's very specific about what he wants, but not in a bad kind of way. I am a fan of his. I'm not mad at him, Nick. I'm just saying. No, no, no I hear you. But I, I'm imagining I'm imagining as like, you know, waiting on a table and he comes in and like, I know how people are about their breakfast very specific about how they like it. Uh, so a guy like that might come in and be like, hey, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. I want the, uh, I want poached eggs. See, no, I feel like he sits down at the counter. Yeah, but I want them poached so that they're slightly liquid in the center. That's about two and a half minutes. Do you think you can do that for me? I feel like he comes in, he sits down at the counter. Because I'm changing the things around he me. He sits down at the counter by himself with a hoodie up. And then they say like, do you know what you want, hon? And he's like, I know what I want, but I don't know if you have it. It's very important to me. Are they home fries or are they hash browns? Which ones do you have? Because sometimes people use the terms interchangeably, but they're different things. And I just need to know what I'm getting. That's true too. He's going to be one of those people. He's the most intense human being. That's why he probably likes Rutz Hut. He's from Bergen County, and you can really only order one thing. 
and it only comes. There's very little variation of what you can get at Rut's Hut. I'm going to cut to another random clip. Let's go to uh, 1244. 12 minutes, 44 seconds on this video called Fearless Warrior. Are you guys still watching this? Hell yeah. And just see. I'm going to cut to some random clip of Nick Suriano talking. And let's see if it doesn't come off as the most intense shit in the world. After the injury, it was a realization of who I am and where I want to be. I decided as a junior, I want to be at Penn State. And as things, as events took place and occurred, my mind started to shift. My interest started to curve. My personality, my, my man, who I was as a man, fucking guy's awesome. started to change a little bit. Uh, what I wanted. I felt like these people, this place, isn't maybe for me. Also, saying fuck you and transferring out of Penn State to come back to Rutgers is a heroic moment as of being a New Jersey sportsman. But he has also in Jersey fashion since transferred out of Rutgers again. He's no longer at Rutgers, uh, which is a bummer. How old is he? He's like 22 or 23, man. I, can you imagine... I'm 41 years old and I'm a dad and I've never been as confident about anything as this kid's been about wrestling. That's just like something... I mean, listen... He's from Jersey, but like that's something that is fucking in you, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that kid is not a normal twenty something year old kid, like and maybe he just was raised around like exceptionally like inspirational people that really fucking, you know, did the right thing. But God bless. He should I I want that guy to fucking coach me. Dude, I just want to see him at the DMV. I want to see him go to the DMV out in Bergen County and just walk in and be like, Hi. I'm here to get my car registration updated. I also need to change the address on my license. I want it to move quick. I understand that this is a process and you're just trying to do your job. I also know that sometimes these things can get tangled up in a lot of headaches and paperwork and that's not going to happen today. Are we clear? I feel like that's just every interaction. Okay, sir, can I have uh, can I have 15 points of identification? I brought all 15. And do you have an appointment? Brought, do you have an appointment, I, I, sir? I don't have an appointment, but I brought every type of okay, identification. Okay, thank you. Exit. Security, please remove this guy. I will give you a double leg takedown yeah, that will remove your soul from your fucking body. <laughs> So, okay, the police are coming I bring now, out sir. all the police. I'll fight all the police. Every single one of them will get put in a chicken wing. Every police okay, in New Jersey sir, we're gonna will be send... fodder for my reign, my dark reign of madness, for I am Nick Suriano, NCAA champion. Okay, you still don't have an appointment. Thank you very much. Don't make us go to the Nobody okay. beats the DMV. Nobody wins you make it through. You've got to make it past that first desk before you can even get anything done. Now, Mike D, we've talked about New Jersey sports heroes Carly Lloyd, Nick Suriano, Arturo Gaddy, Ray Lucas. We've talked about some of our teams, some of the history. But Mike D, you have a story of your own uh, New Jersey sports youth that you wanted to share with us. And I wanted to close on that tonight. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass the ball to you, sports pun intended, because I started reading this. I actually stopped reading the bullet points of the outline. I said, I just need to hear this said out loud because this is pretty insane. I once again will have to preface this as probably like the low point of of my childhood. You've had um, so many things that you've proclaimed as the I low know. point of your childhood on the show, and and I think it's probably doing this podcast where every time something comes up, I'm like oh, that's the that's this the second lowest thing of your uh, of your adulthood. <laughs> that's the low point of my childhood. I'm like, oh, actually, wait, no, probably this is so. <laughs> I, you know, as a kid, I, I played Little League Baseball. I played, as we've discussed before, in the, the Newark North Ward St. Francis Xavier Baseball League. 
it started out really great. I was on the Dickie D's championship team. It's the Italian hot dog Essex County League. It, exactly. I mean, if you look at the the teams that were in the league, I mean, it was it was Dickie D's. It was Zito's Confectionery. It was Giannato's Pharmacy. It was Tony D Electric. These were the actual teams that were sponsored. And I think we've discussed before the involvement of Italian organizations in Little League. So I think the names of this prove it. And, you know, my first year I played, we won the championship. For some reason, all the adults, our parents, our coaches, put us on the hoods of their cars and we drove around North Newark beeping and screaming and waving the championship banner, which I imagine is is not allowed. So I played a couple more years of Little League and every year when you would sign up for Little League, you would go and you would sign up in the gym of of St. Francis on Bloomfield Avenue. And when you would sign up, you would be automatically entered into a, a nationwide Little League raffle, right? And the prize for the raffle was like a certain number of kids, whatever, 10 kids in the country who play Little League. If you win this raffle, you get to go for two weeks to the official Little League baseball camp in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is where they have the Little League World Series that's on TV every year, right? It's like the real official (laughs) big deal Little League camp. So I signed up for Little League and... You know, I play my I play my team. I'm, I'm the catcher. I model myself after Yankees Hammondegger, home run Hassey, and I, and I play my catcher. And then in the middle of the season, my my coach, uh, who was the local tile guy and also a friend, <laughs> the father of one of my good friends, he's like, "Oh, I got to talk to you and your mother." I'm like, oh, I can't imagine what I've done this time. <clears throat> so Jerry, the tile guy, my baseball coach, my mom comes pick me up. She's like, I got to talk to you. Come over here. So I come over and he takes this piece of paper out of our, like, you know, coaches used to carry those long duffel bags where they would stuff all the bats in <laughs> and everything. And he takes out a piece of paper and he's like, you're the winner. He's like, Mike won the, uh, he's like, he won the big little league raffle. And my mom's like, what? What do you mean the raffle? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, when you join Little League every year, you, 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 win, you enter into a raffle. And if you win, you get to go to Little League baseball camp for two weeks in Williamsport. But like the real official Little League baseball camp. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I won. And my mom's like, oh, this is a scam. Come on. This is not a real thing. They're going to ask us to pay like $1,000. And, and Jerry, the tile guy, is like, no, no, no. He's like, really? I, I came like right from Little League to my house because I'm your coach. It's a real thing. So I'm really excited. And we go home. And my father, of course, also thinks this is a scam. He makes a bunch of phone calls. He finds out that it seems legitimate, but he's like, uh, here's the thing. He's like, it's like an eight hour drive. We got to drive you all the way to Pennsylvania. And I'm like, oh, but I want, I really want to go to the camp. And finally my parents are like, all right. So this is the summer when we're about to move to West Orange. So right as we're moving, we pile into the car. We drive eight hours to to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and let me explain, like my family never took any road trips. My father was, as I've spoken about many times, was not the most easy person to deal with. We drive out to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We get there late at night. There's only one place to stay. 
it's like a weird bed and breakfast. So we stay there and we get in. The guy's like, oh, in case you want to know, in case you, you want to do something tonight, we, there's a VCR in your room and there's a video store across the street. And my father is really angry because he's like, the video store is owned by the people who own the hotel and he thinks it's also a scam. The next morning, we, we rent our video that night. I think it's Back to the Future. The next morning, they drive me to the camp. We get to the camp and... It's like the shabbiest place you can possibly imagine. I remember driving up and there's like a mural of like a cartoon pitcher throwing a fastball, but it's like a fireball and it's all melted and the place is real crappy. So I get there, my parents are like, all right, see ya. And I have a big trunk, like like a trunk you see in like 80s, like, like Porky's. I have like a like, trunk yeah, with like, all my yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so my parents leave me. And they take all the like several hundred kids there and they divide us all into individual cabins. And each cabin is given the name of a major league sports franchise. I'm in the Dodgers cabin, which I immediately don't like because they're from L.A. and I'm from New Jersey. And I get to my cabin and the coaches introduce themselves and everybody like they're like, okay, who are you? Where are you from? And I very quickly realize I'm 11 years old. The people in my cabin are seniors in high school. No. Juniors. They're, they're, they're men. They're, they're, they're grown men. Oh, no. It's like professional camp. Like yeah, I, I have not gone through puberty yet. I'm 11 years old. And to be fair, in full disclosure, I don't even really like baseball. Like I played baseball because it was what kids in my neighborhood did and it was something to do after school. Like I could take it or leave it. Like and I guess I don't want to interrupt, but there's also inherently a thing which is like No, go. You and a handful of other people won this, but everyone else there is really dedicated to baseball being their thing in life. They're like paying for that? Were there younger kids there or were you the only one? No, there was one other kid oh my God. in my cabin who was my age and all these other kids, like you said, Chris, they had probably mowed lawns for like three years to come to this camp. Like it was super expensive and <laughs> like I just won the trip. And But they weren't kids is the thing. They were, full, they were men. Like I was a child and they were men. <laughs> what were they saying to you? Were they saying anything? And, and they say nothing at first. The first day it's kind of, the first night it's kind of normal. <laughs> and they like, afterwards we all go out and they have some kind of like pavilion and like, you can buy lick and made and everybody's like hanging out. Although I did the thing that immediately tipped me off that something was weird was I noticed everyone in my cabin was doing dip, right? Like, uh, like chewing tobacco, which I had, was too young to really even know or understand. And to be fair, you know, dip was not a big thing in New Jersey. I know it is in other parts of the country. And I'm like, oh, I was into it. What are they doing? I'm like, is that big league chew? And I'm like, oh, it's not big league chew. <laughs> That's actual <laughs> chewing tobacco. And the next morning, they wake us up early. They give us breakfast. They make us do a bunch of running. And I'm like, ah, this kind of sucks, but it's not that bad. Then they put us on a baseball diamond, each of our individual cabins. And we start doing drills. And literally, the first time that I go up to bat, the kid pitching to me throws a ball that's like 800 miles an hour faster than anything I've ever seen. Because he's an adult man, and I'm a child. And he's like, literally, and, so I, and the thing was, you would play three baseball games a day against the other cabins. So basically from eight in the morning till seven or eight at night, Ugh. I'm playing baseball against these adult kids. And I'm like, this fucking sucks. And then the guy who was my coach, he took it real seriously. He was some kind of like division one baseball player at a college, but all this, he's like, 
like, I'm going to show everybody the signals. And all his signals for when you were at bat involved his chew container. He'd be like, if I take the top off my chew container, that means bunt. If I take my chew container and I tap it against my palm, that means, you know, take a pitch. And I'm like, what? Like, what the fuck is going on here? And then we get back to the cabin and the abuse immediately starts. And my abuser was a man, not a, like a man, man, like a senior in high school, this kid named Wolfgang. Like, how the fuck? Like, I'm from New Jersey. Like, I come from Nork Little League and I'm getting abused by someone named Wolfgang. And then there's another kid named Rifle who was also abusing me. What were they saying to you? What kind of terrible stuff? Oh, it wasn't what, what they were saying. saying? Like a little kid. We would come, there was me and this other kid named Rob, and we were the only two young kids, and we would come back to the cabin after the games, and obviously, like, my performance on the field was beyond awful. One, because I wasn't good at sports or baseball, and two, because I was a child and they were adults, and they would take out bats and just start beating us, be like, you dropped that fly ball, you missed that pitch, you fucking, you know, they would say all this shit to us, and I'm like, what? So if that's not bad enough, we come back to the cabin every day. And they're literally physically beating us. <laughs> and then, as everyone on this podcast knows, I fucking skeeve everything. I go to the use the bathroom the first night, and I'm like, oh, oh this is no. two skeevots. I can't use the bathroom. Was it like a latrine? Yeah, basically. It was like one uh, of those like pit toilets. I go the second yeah. day, I'm like, oh, this is t- two skeevots. I can't, I can't use it. Day three, day four, day five. By day six, I think I was probably in some version of like toxic shock from not having Definitely. gone to the bathroom for four oh or God. five days. And I'm like, I can't stay here. And, and so I go, like I sneak off to the the like administrator and I'm like, I want to go home, call my parents. They're like, you can't go home. I'm like, I want to go home, call my parents or I'm just going to leave. And they're like, we don't normally do this. Um, and I just look at the guy and I remember this. Is, I was like, I haven't taken a shit in six days because the bathroom is so fucking disgusting. Call my parents so they can drive me to a Burger King and I can use the bathroom. Oh my God. I would you like just go shit in the woods but you were from North Newark. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't know anything about shit yeah, in the yeah, woods yeah, at that age. So they're like, all right, they call. Who is he, the Pope? They, they call my fucking parents. <laughs> and, and they're like, all right, but it's going to take us like a day and a half to get there because it's so far away. Oh so I go back God. and the other kid my age, Rob, who I was friends with, he's like, oh, I'm leaving too and i was like i'm not telling anybody that that i'm gonna leave and he's like why i'm like ah you know these guys like anything you do they're gonna abuse you and he's like oh i just told everybody i was leaving i just packed up all my stuff into my trunk so that night we go to bed and wolfgang emerges from his bunk bed in the middle of the night and starts screaming like rob is leaving everybody rob is leaving and he jumps out of his bed completely nude with a semi-erect penis and begins urinating all over rob and then flips open his trunk and pisses all over his stuff and like the kid is just like in hysterical crying and like at my my 11 year old self is like well i'm glad i'm not him because i lied and said i wasn't leaving <laughs> but i'm just like what the fuck is wrong with this place and then my parents come and pick me up and my father is furious like i can't believe you're leaving the camp we had to drive all the way out here and get you and i was like you were gonna have to come out here and get me anyway it's not like i was living here and then to add insult to injury about two months later we get this big package in the mail and my mom's like, oh, it's from like the Little League camp. And I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe. What could this be? <laughs> I still have I still have this package. I open up the package and it's like a 10 page 
extremely detailed typewritten report about every single flaw that I have as an 11 year old baseball player. It's like, <laughs> Mike can't bunt doesn't understand signals when I see them. Like when he bunts, he doesn't pull the bat out all the way. Like get out of like, here! I, I, I have it. I'll show it to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pages and pages of every flaw that I have as a a kid. And so it's like great. Basically, like I won this trip. I go there. I get abused by adults for a week. I try to leave and I can't. And I can't use the bathroom for a week. And then, like, literally, it was the worst experience of my entire life, going to the, the Little League baseball camp. How good was that first shit after you, after you got off the premises? It wasn't great, because I had to do it at a Skivats, like, rest stop bathroom, which I... It was like a, like a four-foot log that jammed up the toilet. <laughs> oh, do, yeah, Mr. Clogger. Like, there was a, no chance that... It was actually, like, sticking up to the rim. It broke off. Definitely like a septic repair. And I was trying to convince my parents. I was like, I was like, I really need to go to the bathroom. I know it's an eight hour drive, but just make it home because I am so (laughs) disgusted by public toilets that I was willing to wait eight more hours to be comfortable. Man, that was like the Admiral Farragut. Like we just had to go to like football camp there. Like they made us go. It was like the most terrible, like seven days of like my life every year before football season. Like total, total, like old school torture fest. And then it was like, you know, like you were saying, it was like a school for like degenerates, or it had turned into a school for like you know bad kids or whatever. So you'd be there. There's nowhere to like go when you're there. You're like locked down, and there's like all these like girls that would like come around, and like they explicitly told you like do not talk to these girls like and of course we're from a star and so we're like climbing out of our windows from like the the dorms to like you know oh yeah i'm gonna go pick up that girl night blah blah blah. like and you know i was just like it was a a special place and a special time but like and the stuff that they used to do to like us like now oh my god this place would be like shut down yeah i always wonder too what adult was like you know it'll be really great let's have like 11-year-olds and 18-year-olds play on the same baseball team. Like in w- and not only that live in the same dorm because they probably didn't even think it out that far. They probably like they probably had this like money-making machine for like years, you know what I mean? Well, it like, was also the when you're 11 you go to sleep and do one thing. When you're 18 you go to sleep and do another. So it's basically like the like the Pennsylvania like masturbation fest. <laughs> like Oh yeah, but once you once you meet people that aren't from Jersey and they go to like camp and stuff like that, I hear like the worst, most terrible stories about like dudes doing weird shit as like teens or it's probably like was like whatever, the one oddball like leading this girl. Like even within with the kids that I met at that football camp, like there was a couple kids from like around the towns from us, they would have these like parties before the season, like when you were gonna be going on to like J V or varsity. And they basically bring you in there and like haze you. Like, and the stories that I were here were like terrible. They were like, oh yeah, they put us all in a room, like put on porn and then, uh, make us put like Snapple bottles on our cocks. And I was like, what the, like, what was going on in your football program? Like that was not happening in our football program. Like, and if I was going to play football and that started happening, I'd be like, I'm not playing I quit. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like local. I won't say the, uh, the names of the towns or whatever, but like. It was, oh my gosh, it was a, an experience. You guys should have seen what was going on at um, 
play rehearsal, man. All all sorts of crazy. I well, you know what? Knowing what I know now, I wish I had done like. I wish I had done that because it was all stories of like people making out, having like sex and blowjobs and all kinds of crazy shit. Like I should have been, I should have gone that route for sure. You're saying that if you could turn back the clock, you would have not played football and you would have signed up to be in uh, the chorus of Avita with me starring Dom. Yes. (laughs) Dom was my quarterback. I was his center. So, you know, we got a bond for life. So, Love him, and you wish that you instead were part of his uh, one of his choir, one of his like chorus boys. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like, um, <laughs> I always, I'm, I'm a cultured person. Even back then, I was That's exposed true. a lot, so like, I appreciate it. But like, um, it was more my um, my shyness. I think at that age about like public speaking and stuff like that, I could never like overcome until I became like a few years older. But yeah, one of my most this goes back to like the the punter, but this is like for a field goal that would have beaten our Wayne Valley senior year. Wayne Valley senior year. Let me just put this in perspective. This is the team that would like beat us every year, whatever. And we're like, okay, we didn't have a fantastic season. We played hard, whatever. So we're playing Wayne Valley. And it is like this like epic football day, Saturday morning. It's fucking raining, but we're playing the game anyway. Blah, blah, blah. Like, the game is, like, tied. Home or away? We, like, make... Uh, we're home in West Orange. And, like, everybody's still there in the pouring rain. There's, like, pictures of me covered from head to toe in, like, mud. My entire face. Like, my whole uniform, whatever. And I got a picture of, like, Coach Sauter with his arm around me. And, and it's so funny. I saw this picture the other day. And I remembered what he was telling me, like, the whole time. Like, when he had his arm around me. And when I talk about, like, coaches and being from Jersey and, like, this guy was, like, used to be the head coach of Passaic Valley, grabs me and he's, like, almost, like, fucking seven feet tall and just, like, puts his arm around me, grabs me, he's, like, right in my fucking face. Nikki, this is it. You know what I mean? Like, when you're fucking, this is character building. This is fucking being from Jersey. This is, it's you or nothing, right? So we fucking make this drive. We get the fucking field goal distance. Like, fucking, that's it. Game is tied. Everybody's going fucking crazy. And it's not even a far field goal. It's like, a, it's a fucking ringer, man. You know what I mean? Like, you you motherfucker, you practice this all the time. Like, this is your one fucking job. And you fucking shank it. And like, you know, hey, listen. I'm a competitive person. Like, and I never hold. Listen, when you're in a situation under pressure, like, whatever. But this was it. This was my senior year. It came down to this one moment. It was like the best game we ever played. I mean, just like everything was like, you were fighting every inch of the fucking way. And then all of a sudden, it's just like fucking ripped away from you. So back to the Jersey theme of fucking... Hold on. Did they just steamroll you guys in overtime? No. We we, we literally had like 10 seconds and we were within field goal range. Like we had driven down the... F- oh, to tie it. No, no. To win. To break the tie. We would have fucking like... We would have we had a chance to fucking... You know what I mean? But then it's not a tie game. It goes to overtime, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like so... And did we they blew- just win instantly in overtime? Well, you blew the field goal. That was it. And then they won. And they won. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah, there was, uh, I wasn't crying, but the kicker was definitely crying like a little bitch after that. When you get back to the locker room, do they legitimately need to put like, do they need to put the kicker under police protection on that one? Well, yeah, if you know the person, you would understand like probably. He was a well-loved person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, but for me, I don't know, like I can't explain like when Nikki Bonaduce comes out, like then there's this other person that 
used to like play football that would come out and like that person is a totally different person than you would ever like understand like totally 100%. So yeah, it was uh it was a tough thing. Like, you know what I mean? I'm from Jersey. I like the win. I fight hard. That's it. But that was my epic senior year fucking total fucking letdown. It makes me uh really happy that I never played sports. Hearing your stories of baseball camp and that sounds yeah. football lunacy. I'm glad that I was a prepubescent late bloomer who had no chance to be athletic in any way, and it led to what my life is now. It's been a- yeah, but you did marching band. That like to me that blows my mind. I could never do that. I could never march in formation. I didn't march in formation. I stood on the sideline and I played a gong. <laughs> okay, that's even better. And then I hit on. So she t- became my girlfriend. You never had the march ever? No, I never marched one time. I marched in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. I held the symbols so the drummers could hit them with the sticks. That was it. That's awesome. I couldn't even do that. I tried out for the the jazz band and was soundly trumped out. Playing what? Guitar? Yeah. God damn. God damn. There were kids that could like rip it up in our high school. Like, you know what I mean? Musically. We got to wrap it up sometime. This episode's gone long. But I do feel like this walk down the sports culture of New Jersey has been very eye-opening and gratifying, and I'm glad we did it. So many good athletes come from the state, and so many who show off the uh, the culture of what makes this place tick. I'm really glad we uh, I'm really glad we did it, and I hope I never run into Nick Suriano because I hope he doesn't hear this and then hear my impersonation. And Wolfgang, if you're out there, I'm never gonna forget. <laughs> I'm coming for you, Wolfgang. We'll do another segment. Where's Wolfgang now? And it's just a picture of like a, a swamp in New Jersey, like an overhead <laughs> camera shot with a couple of bubbles coming up. Or not. <laughs>